Hi, welcome to HowlCast. I want to take a moment to talk to you about an awesome program we have going on. Hal has partnered with GoHunt to bring an awesome membership program. You can now purchase GoHunt Insider or Explorer through the Hal Wildlife Membership Portal. You get all the same awesome features and benefits like advanced hunt filtering tools, industry-leading draw odds, state regulation overviews, species profiles, expert insights, strategies, and advice, plus all the exclusive content. But now, if you purchase your Insider or Explorer membership through the HAL portal, you will get an additional 15% to shop on Go Hunt store, always. Uh, you will get the full HAL membership, which gives you exclusive discounts to all our partners, awesome monthly gear giveaways, and exclusive yearly hunt giveaways for our members. Plus, a portion of your membership is tax deductible. Already have a Go Hunt membership? No problem. If you buy through the Howl for Wildlife portal, Go Hunt will just add 12 months to your existing membership and upgrade your membership to the Howl package. It's a great way to get awesome, useful tools and to support Howl for Wildlife. So get on there, purchase your membership today, and thank you very much. Let's get into this episode. Hi, welcome to Howlcast. Uh, this week, we are going to be talking with Giannis Patelis and Trey Milhone. I got Charles on with me, and we're going to be talking about um, bighorn sheep in Vail and some of the stuff that's going on with that and the implications of, uh, of the issues at hand. So uh, real quick, we'll just, uh, Giannis, you want to give us a little rundown about yourself and who you are and how you sure. The picture. Uh, yeah, Giannis Patelis. Uh, I work for a company called Meat Eater as a uh, content producer. Uh, I have a show on YouTube called On the Hunt with Giannis Patelis. Uh, I oftentimes am on the Meat Eater podcast, and then I help with all sorts of other media projects over here at Meat Eater, from uh, you know books, publishing, other shows, and podcasts, and whatever. And I guess the biggest reason that I'm relevant here uh, somewhat to uh, this conversation is because I was lucky enough to draw the non-resident um, ram tag um, in the unit that uh, adjoins or I guess is part of this uh, this winter range uh, where these sheep are having, you know, some difficulties that we're going to talk about here in the in the next few minutes. Awesome. And Trey, so um, I've had you on. I have had you on Days of the Wild podcast. I have you on my other podcast, and uh, we've uh, we've we've shared some stories about elk hunting and, and deer hunting and so on and so forth. But uh, how do you fit into this puzzle? And, and why don't you give us a little quick rundown about yourself? Thanks, John. Yeah, my name is Trey Milhone. I'm a Colorado outfitter. I own Capra Guides. I uh, I guide and outfit sheep and elk and deer hunts here in Colorado. Um, more specifically though, or more importantly, I'm a Vail, Colorado native born and raised here. And, uh, I've, uh, spent my whole life growing up watching these sheep here in, uh, East Vail and Bighorn Management Unit S2. And, uh, it's a, it's an issue near and dear to my heart. And, uh, something that's, it's pretty concerning to me, you know, what the future of these bighorns look like here in Vail. Yeah. So um the five cent tour of it all is it's um home developer wants to develop housing on 
the main winter range, which is happens to be a very small portion of a giant unit or that if they lose this, this uh, winter range, it's going to be very detrimental to our, to the uh, sheep herd. That's the, the five centaur. Um, whoever wants to pick up on that and, and kind of elaborate on it. Uh, that'd be great. I know Trey, you're kind of a little close to it and you've, you actually got a website, correct? That is right. uh, specific to it. Correct, John. Yeah. So we've, uh, we started a website, veilbighorn.org and uh, social media, Instagram, Veil uh, Bighorn and uh, Facebook, Veil Bighorn Initiative. And we also have a YouTube channel that we have a couple of videos uploaded, uh, some really neat videos created by Town of Vail. It's, uh, it's a pretty contentious issue that uh, has a lot of layers. So it's a little bit longer of an elevator pitch than most to explain all the intricacies of what's happened with the sheep here in Vail. Um, but you, you, you hit it right on the head. It's a uh, bighorn winter range here in East Vail that is uh, at risk of being developed on by a ski resort company. And um, it's about a 900 acre winter range for this herd of about 75 to 100 bighorn sheep. And uh, within that 900 acres of winter range, there's only about 130 acres that's very specific to using lambs. Mm. And that's, uh, that's a small little area that they winter on. And this development would be right on that 130 acres. Um, and that's one thing that a lot of people don't recognize or talk about is um, how finite and how small that exact winter range for the ewes and lambs are um, and how critical of an area that is. It's a, it's a pretty unique spot. Um, it has south-facing exposure, cliffs above it for escape terrain. Um, and it's kind of snugged right in between the highway and the interstate and um the gore range it's a it's a small little area that's uh that's very sensitive to development recreation and uh changes to winter range so is that the only uh winter range within reach of this herd that's using this large mountain range behind it during the summer and fall that's correct yeah they have not found another spot in the Gore Range where sheep have wintered. Um, historically, this herd, this is a native herd to Colorado, um, which means they have never experienced a transplant or a supplementation event. Um, so they're unique in that sense that these sheep have existed here um, for a very long time um, without any uh, human inter- interaction or uh, uh, supplementation. Um, and this exact area where they winter is the only place these sheep can winter. Uh, there's not an alternative. You know, if something's built here, um, these sheep don't have option B to go to. Gotcha. And obviously so we're not having to say it, you know, if that's not there, then they're, they're not going to make it through the winter. Right. Um, yeah. I wish we knew there's probably Trey. I mean, we could probably guess as to where there was other spots that they wintered in the past, but um, as anybody, Trey would know well, but if you've driven through, you know, right past the Vail Ski Resort and looked north, right, there's like development all over those hillsides. So I'm sure there used to be historic, like a hundred years ago, there was probably other spots, but because right. of other development and just general, you know, human um, presence, they're left with this 400 acres now. Yeah. Exactly. So- 
Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, obviously a, 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 a tough situation because it's not like each winner you can go there and round them up and move them somewhere else. They're not cattle. You know, you can't, you can't put them in a different pasture. So the, you're basically trading the lives of a whole herd. How big, how big is that herd? 75 to a hundred animals. They estimate, um, you know, recent conversation I had with CPW, they have, uh, between 24 and 26 lambs born this year, which is, uh, which is phenomenal. That's, uh, that's great news out of this small bighorn herd. Right. Um, so I know Giannis, when you and I were speaking on the phone about this, one of the things that we talked about, there might be like, I don't know if putting the, this way is the right way to put it, but like an area of contention amongst the hunting public where they may, may not care. I don't want to say not care about it. It's not as important to them because you can't, the area that we're talking about is not a, not an area that you can hunt because of the, um, whatever, I forgot what rule. Oh, there's a, there's a buffer zone. Yeah. There's a half mile buffer zone. And Trey, you, you probably can speak to this even more detail, but I'll give it, I'll give a, give it a crack. There's like a half mile buffer zone from the interstate going North, uh, into the Gore range where you like hunting is off limits. And as I understand it was created so that migrating deer and elk in the late seasons, when they got pushed down by snow and would be moving West to their winter grounds would have like easy and clear passage and not be met by, you know, if you were lucky enough to, you know, have a late season tag, or maybe back then there weren't, you know, late season tags, there was just, you know, later season or whatever, but they felt that they, it, they needed that so that there wouldn't be these sort of like giant, you know, what could be considered like a slaughter where like, if there was just a giant herd, moving through and they all got pinched down to the highway. They just be very easy pickings. And so that was created, right? So yeah, so that zone where they live, because they literally are sometimes within, I don't know, sometimes they're probably within 50 yards of the interstate, right, Trey? Right. Yeah. No, a couple of years ago they had several sheep hit by cars um on the on the freeway right there. That's that's how close they get. Um and you're correct, Giannis, yeah, that that buffer zone, the line is the wilderness boundary. Um, which is about a half mile north of uh, of the interstate, and that's uh, that area is off limits to hunting. Okay. And the reason, so the reason why I was bringing it up is, I don't want people to think that, even though it should be enough, but just in case it's not enough for you, I don't want people to think that, you know, we're just fighting to save some habitat that doesn't have anything to do with hunting. But just, I I, I feel bad that I even have to say that, but some people just have that mentality and I just wanted people to understand that this is an area that the sheep, when they go back to where you can hunt them, you know, you know, you hunt them there over there, but when they come back over here in the winter time, this is what they need to survive, you know? And I, I just, the reason why I'm bringing it up is because I've noticed sometimes that there's a, a lack of interest for people to want to get involved if it doesn't seemingly affect them. And I know sheep is always a tough thing because people don't, it's very hard to get a sheep tag, right? You know, so, and I just want people to have this, uh, the same sense of value for everything that we 
that we're involved in, you know, uh, even whether or not it's something that affects you directly, like whether you're ever going to get a sheep tag in Colorado or not, or, mm-hmm. or, or if it's, or if we're talking about land that we hunt on versus land that we don't hunt on, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I personally look at it like, you know, habitat is habitat is habitat. And, you know, bighorn sheep aren't the only ones that use these for that 400 acres. Like I've seen plenty of mule deer and elk on that same hillside. Um, and it's like, if they don't have the winter range, then they're, they're not going to be in the summer range. And I'll tell you what was a very like, sort of like stark, I don't know if it was a realization, but just a, a, uh, um, something I noticed during my sheep hunt was that being high in the gore range for whatever it was, two weeks plus, mm-hmm. I looked over an amazing amount of elk and deer country, which I would have thought, and it used to be fairly, I don't want to say loaded, but fairly full of game when I lived there, um, almost, you know, 15, 20 years ago now. Okay. And I think I saw like six mule deer total and maybe a dozen elk total. And I don't know, like this, like, I'm no scientist, but it sure seems like those valleys all around it from, you know, summit County and Eagle County are getting built up. And even though there's this like great summer range and great fall range for these critters, um, they can't survive without any winter range. And so it's like, I, I, I just kind of felt like, man, where are the animals? And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Trey, have you had that same experience? But I have, yeah, we're, uh, there's been a significant decline in ungulates, of every species in Eagle County. It's a, it's a sad deal. I mean, we just, we don't have near the numbers of elk or deer that we used to. And um, to be honest, the sheep are probably doing the sheep and the Shriver's moose are probably doing the best of anybody. Um, So I think it's all the more reason to really focus on how we can maintain those numbers and um, you know, support their, their habitat. Yeah. It's, it's kind of hard when you're up against a big, uh, development, you know, uh, the number one reason for mule deer decline in the United States is that, uh, that segregation of, of habitat where they're, they're breaking up habitat with new housing. We're seeing it here in Arizona a lot, which we don't have a winter summer in the desert. Like it's, you know, it's all the same pretty much. Um, and the one limiting factor is always water, of course, but, but all those areas where roads have intersected travel corridors, um, I, I think from what I understand from what uh, Arizona Fishing Green was telling me is that because the deer are so nomadic and they have to travel to where the water is at for that particular time of year, that's what's, that's what's causing the problem. So, and I would imagine that's the same thing that's going on you know, across the whole United States, it, you know, may not be water, but it's whatever the habitat, whatever the needs are, they're getting cut off from the needs of, of, you know, of the herd by, you know, a development of some sort. So. Absolutely. And, and John, that's, that is certainly the case here in Eagle County. You know, if we look at Eagle County, just as kind of a micro environment, um, some of the, some of the impacts, wildlife, not just sheep, but all of our wildlife have experiences, 
we have a <clears throat> main interstate I-70 that runs through Eagle County, and they fenced that interstate a number of years ago, which oh. effectively cut off all, um, you know, migration to and from, you know, the north and south of the, the unit. Um, <clears throat> in addition to our population growth, um, you know, we've had a massive influx of people here, um, and they're all very outdoors, active people, um, outdoor recreators, mountain biking, hiking, skiing. That puts pressure. And it's 365 days of human interaction in the, you know, both in the wilderness and uh, BLM National Forest open space. Um, we have a lot of, lot of human activity around here nowadays. Gotcha. Did they put any of those um, animal um, throughways where they can pass safely under or over um, over the interstate at all? Or is it just they put up fencing and now whatever's on this side's on this side, whatever's on that side's on that side? Correct. Yeah. Nothing's been done yet. There has been some talks recently about doing some wildlife crossings, um, looking at some of the models in Wyoming. I was just um, has done that and kind of been somewhat successful at it. Right, right. Yeah. So, Giannis, uh, I kind of want to, I kind of want to hear about the sheep hunt a little bit. Uh, we're, so, think, think about the. If you're allowed to talk about it yet, I don't know. Did you, did you release that on your, on your show yet? Uh, you know, we didn't film it. Um, didn't. It was in the. It was the hunt was pretty much 100 percent in the wilderness, ah. and gaining wilderness film permits is uh, very difficult, and. Uh, so we gave it like a college try, you know, gave, gave it, you know, like a half of a swing, uh, to get it. And like often happens, we were denied and, um, and we just decided to not pursue it. Um, we've had some wilderness permits in the past, but I would say that eight out of 10 times we get denied and it's a, you can continue on the process and, um, you know, appeal the decision and kind of work up the the ranks in the forest service, but, uh, no it, 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 it can, it can be tough. So anyways, we just decided to, and, and, it, and I partially did it selfishly too, because it's two different things when you're hunting with a camera crew and then hunting just with yourself and with some buddies. Mm -hmm. Um, and so instead we just took along a photographer and then I was joined by a couple of friends um, over the course of the two week period. So there is a photo essay that I wrote up that lives on uh, the meateater.com that you can check out. And, uh, you know, I feel like it's a, it's a pretty good, uh, you know, journal and depiction of uh, the time I had up there, but uh, yeah. So anyways, I can talk all about it. <laughs> awesome. Um, yes. But uh, it was. I wanted to preface that so before we got off, you, you'd share that with everybody. So, oh, yeah, 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 no problem. Um, but yeah, an amazing experience, man. Um, and I think I'd like to preface it too with like we're talking about how to make this relevant to everybody and relevant to hunters that, you know, hopefully you're applying for sheep, even if you're, you know, just a, you know, Joe Whitetail hunter somewhere or whatever. But if you like big game hunting, you should be applying for sheep because uh, there is a chance and I'm a perfect example of it. Oh. I drew with 10 points as a non-resident. Um, you know, my odds were, there was another hundred non-residents that applied for this tag. So at the minimum, you know, somewhere my odds were one in a hundred and depending on how many points everybody else had, you know, it could have been better or worse, but um, 
like 10 years isn't that long, you know, when, uh, when you get to be, you know, your mid forties or whatever. So I feel like this is a herd that everybody that's a non-resident of Colorado should pay attention to because although this year they didn't have a non-resident tag, they did last year. And if this herd grows, uh, there will be future years where they will where they will have a non-resident tag in this unit. So um, you could possibly have the opportunity to one day hunt here. I mean, I know the chances are slim, but, um, but it's yeah, still. I mean, I, I thought I'd be well into my 60s before I ever got to hunt sheep. And I was lucky enough to do it at 43, which was really sweet because 43-year-old uh, legs are just easier going than 63-year-old legs, you know? Sure. Yeah, I, but, uh, I had the same I had this here in Arizona, on for, uh, not in, in Colorado, but, um, you know, I didn't have max pool of points and i drew my tag in 2016 for desert sheep which is even harder to get right congratulations thank you um yeah and my cousin drew it with like seven points which is crazy like nothing nothing for that type of deal. yeah but, uh, um actually i wanted to have uh, charles you you worked on this uh on this bill quite a bit and you kind of been sitting there quiet and doing your thing but uh i wanted to ask i wanted to add to what you know from a house perspective what we're what we're doing and how yeah can you guys hear me okay it's kind of uh rattly a little bit are you driving i'm throwing a big trailer right now so uh <laughs> sorry about that this will just make it more interesting yeah so i've been working on this uh with trey for about two months now and um just kind of slowly developing the action and, um, and also kind of seeing where the story goes because, um, we weren't really sure what was going to happen and what the city, the town of Vale was going to be able to do or what they were going to do. And then it finally came to the point of, all right, let's get this action completed. And, um, we got a couple people on it. We got Travis Hall on it as well to write up some content, but I was really interested in this from the beginning. Because, and correct me if I'm wrong, Trey or Giannis, but there's nothing, this is a moral issue. And um, Vail Resorts has been offered land free of charge, I believe, to, you know, hey, don't develop here because this is a winter, a wintering range for these sheep, but you can develop over here and this will be fine. And I... I believe they're not accepting that, right? Um, so that's, okay, so that's one point. The other point is they have their, I think it's called an epic promise, um, which is, you know, we're not going to harm the environment. We're going to be green. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Um, this kind of, they got their crosshairs set on habitat here and, and wildlife, um, which goes against, you know, what they proclaim. So to me, that's why this was really interesting because it's, it's, it's not, this isn't an, an issue where people don't have a place to live or people are starving or something like that. You know, then when it comes to those things, I think we do have to generally put humans first. This is skiing, uh, essentially. Uh, I, I realize there's a lot of money involved, lots of money, billions of dollars, way more money than I'll ever have. There's investors, there's all that. 
but we're a growing society. We're a growing population, you know, across the world and, you know, naturally. Right. And we got to, we got to do what's right morally. And I know that sounds like a utopian kind of a, of a, of an ask here, but just let's, that's the 10,000 foot view, but let's go right down the veil. There's other properties in Vail that Vail Resorts can use to build this. It's housing, right? It's it's staff housing. Is that is that what it Correct. is? Correct. Correct. Okay. Housing. Um, you know, are they gonna are they gonna update their epic promise and say, well, <laughs> we'll be we'll be environmentally friendly when you know only when it makes sense for us to do that and and when it when it comes to where we're given an option to build here or build here. And one of them's destroying habitat and one of them's taking wild sheep off the landscape. But we're going to make more money because that land is, is, is more, has more value on it. Um, then we'll compromise our ethics and do that. Um, that's why this is interesting to me. And it's also interesting because it's not actually, it's, it's not really a, a hunting issue. Um, this is an issue that everybody can get involved in. This is an issue that uh, you know, skiers and snowboarders can get involved in. This is an issue that the Sierra Club can get involved in, that the CBD can get involved in, that um, this wouldn't be the first time. We just did the, the feral horses thing in Arizona and all the information and content was provided by the CBD, which, uh, which generally doesn't happen with, with hunting organizations in the CBD. But, but when it does, I'll take that alignment um, because it's just mission oriented. And this is something that I see the reason why I wanted to get involved in it is, is it's, it's a chance for um, unity amongst other forces, amongst other organizations. And maybe it's a chance to sit down or we can um, find some commonality and work on some other things. I like talking to people. And usually when you do, sometimes positive things come out of that. So um, I think everything I said about, about Vail Resorts is, was, was accurate. I don't want to be inaccurate there um, about the options they've been given and and about their epic promise and all that um, and I'm and I'm and I want to be understanding of their investors and their business and whatnot and we're we're asking them to do the right thing where they can still make money um, and I and I and I don't think I'm I'm off course by saying that what do you what do you think Trey Charles, I'd agree 100%. And it is a, an ethical and moral um, issue because Vail Resorts has been um, offered alternatives. Not only do they own themselves ideal property nearby that's closer to town, um, they would actually have a lot lower carbon footprint or development footprint than, than this development. They own property and they've also been given property or the option of property by the town of Vail. And the town of Vail has done a really good job. You know, the local uh, town council has said, you know, these sheep really matter to this community and they really matter to this environment locally. We're willing to give you this piece of property elsewhere or this or that. Um, and they've offered uh, four or five different alternatives um, development sites that Vail could actually build more employee housing on than this current site. And Vail Resorts, is, uh, they've denied all of those offers by the town of Vail. So it does make you question their motives and uh, what their, their rationale is in uh, pursuing this development further. 
Um, so it has become a, a, a contentious issue here in town and uh, the town of Vail, um, you know, kind of as a last, last resort voted to condemn the property, um, which is an action that's uh, not typically done um, by local governments, but it was the only option they had. So it's the process of um, essentially eminent domain, same uh, process they would use if they were going to build an interstate through a farmer's field. They would uh, pay that farmer fair compensation for that property um, if it's a public benefit. And the town of Vale saw these sheep in this winter range as such a public benefit and a um, environmental resource that they were willing to go the con uh, condemnation route and um, acquire this piece of property. Um, it's a bit of a hostile action to acquire property, but it's it's conservation nonetheless. Um, let me ask this question. So the winter range, I, I'm not, I've, I've never had the opportunity to, to hunt sheep. So therefore I haven't spent much time researching sheep. Um, when you talk about their winter range with this particular issue in Vail, how small or large, how small is that wintering range? And let's say this goes through, how does that directly, what does the sheep's next winter look like? Well, again, I, I, I brought it up <clears throat> early on, <clears throat> excuse me, in this conversation, linked uh, oh, okay. estimated winter range is about 900 acres, Charles. Um, and within that specifically, there's about 130, 135 acres that is utilized primarily by ewes and lambs. And, and there's some young rams in there as well. Um, but that 130 acres is a piece of property um, that would be directly impacted by this development. It's a 23 acre development of which five acres will be used. Um, and there's, you know, there's several arguments, you know, a lot of people, the, the NIMBY argument has been brought up, which means not in my backyard, um, thinking that, you know, it's Eastvale homeowners that may not want, you know, a, a high density development in their backyard, which, which, you know, could be a valid point on their their side of the, the argument, but um, that's not really our argument. Our argument is really just conservation and habitat. Uh, we care about the sheep. Um, and there is a big, there's a big difference between the existing homes that are in Eastvale adjacent to this winter range. Most of them are seasonally occupied. People that come to town three weeks or a month out of the year. Um, that's very little footprint to these sheep versus a high density development that has 160 people living there that all have dogs, you know, turning them out and they'd be turning them out, you know, right there on the sheep winter range. So it's uh, not comparing apples to apples when we look at the type of development that's there in Eastvale currently. Um, but moreover, any development out, out here would be adding insult to injury. These sheep need as much ground as they can to survive. And uh, if we want this herd uh, to continue to live here, we need to save and preserve every available acre they have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what can we do? What can we do to, um, you know, besides bringing a bunch of voices, making a bunch of, a bunch of noise, which we need to do a lot more of on this issue. What are, what options do you see besides one of them, I think was condemnation of that property. Is that, is that a, a legitimate option? And then what other options do you, are you aware of? 
condemnation, condemnation is a, is a logical option that's on the table right now from the town of Vale's perspective. Um, the other option that we have is uh, the point of public perception. Um, you know, I think the more voices and the more outreach we have, um, you know, with the Howell initiative, that action item to uh, email Vail Resorts executives, urging them to reconsider this development and where it takes place and um, urging them to honor their um, epic promise, their commitment to habitat and uh, net zero environmental impacts, I think is, is really as a, the hunting community, the animal loving community, um, whoever it is, that's the best option we have at our disposal right now is, uh, is to reach out to Vail Resorts and urge them to do the right thing. Um, other than that, I, you know, I'm not sure it's a, it's a, it's a sticky situation here in, in town. Yeah. yeah, I got it. None. I mean, makes sense. Again, it's not, they're not doing anything illegal. It's a, it is a public perception issue, which is, which is interesting because those can get kind of sticky. And you know? it's not something that's being voted on, right? It's just basically you're, you're trying to argue your point with, with it's like, like almost like one-on-one, even though it's not one-on-one, but you, there's no, there's no vote. There's, it's not a bill. It's not, it's just, a company that wants to do this and a town that doesn't want them to do it, you know? So, but I, I don't know. Right. And you're correct. I mean, the only vote taking place falls up on the shoulders of seven individuals, which are the, the town council of Vail. Okay. Uh, and uh, currently there's a four to three vote to condemn. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a slim margin. Um, and that's that, you know, that's one approach that the town's taken. And, uh, you know, we've seen a, a big surge here in this community to rally around these sheep and, uh, and wildlife. And, um, we've had a ton of great feedback and support, um, you know, Giannis and, uh, Howell and, um, just the social media presence and, um, the response to the YouTube video that's up, um, you know, about these bighorn sheep. It's been a really good response from the community, um, and I think that's that's the biggest thing we can do right now is uh, people to rally and urge Vail to just do the right thing because they have a a PR gold mine in their hands. They could just do the right things, and they the right thing. They look like really good people. Um, right. Probably make more money off of it in the long run, anyway, right? <laughs> right. If you spin it the right way, you, you guys you don't have the right marketing guys. <laughs> Right. Well, yeah, I can't imagine that they're not thinking about t- driving some buses by there all winter and having, you know, bighorn sheep viewing yeah. uh, tours, you know, that would be included in your your package stay. You know, when the snow's no good, you just go and watch some uh, bighorn sheep right there. Uh, I yeah. think you just Let's... found a new job, Giannis. No, I was going to say, Giannis, you're going to go and pitch his uh, marketing. marketing. <laughs> That's a yeah, great idea. No, honestly. I was, I kept looking at it like it's like a legacy sort of decision for them to make. Like, like Trey saying, they can make this decision not to do it and just look like absolute heroes and it'll last forever. Like, if they actually go through with it, it'll, it'll be five years of bad press and whatever and whatever. It might stick with them, but eventually people will forget about it. But if they did the right thing, like 
it would just be a gold star on their chest forever. And um, they'd be able to point to that and just say, you know, look at what we did. Um, and, and I don't know, it just, it doesn't make sense. It's, it's like a freebie, you know, just dished up to them um, and why they're pushing against it. I don't know. But Trey, I had a question for you. What is the latest with like the whole, the condemnation part? Like, are they like, where, where are they at right now? Are they trying to raise the money to, to be able to buy the property or what? So condemnation is still going forward. Um, the town council still intends to uh, proceed with, with condemnation. They, uh, they sent a letter after the May 3rd uh, vote to condemn. Uh, they sent a letter to Vail Resorts saying, guys, we're giving you another chance. Even after this condemnation vote, we're giving you another chance to do the right thing. We'll give you this property here, this property here, this property. And they offered them multiple alternatives and Vail Resorts came back and said, no deal. We're building on our ground. That's our intention. That's our plan. Um, so currently it is still being planned to condemn. Um, and there's, there's, there's differing um, evaluations of what the property is worth. Um, you know, obviously Vail Resorts has an appraisal at a certain dollar amount. Vail Resorts has an appraisal at a much higher dollar amount. Um, so it will cost a great deal of money, uh, to acquire this property through, uh, condemnation. So, and that, you know, that financial burden falls on the taxpayers. Um, and if this town, if this costs the town of Vail 10, 15, 20 million or plus, um, you know, that's a, that's an awful lot of money. Um, and if you look at it in the grand scheme of things, if you had $20 million to put towards sheep conservation in the state of Colorado, it could go a long, long ways other than just a 23 acre piece of property. So that's why it's our stance to really urge Vail Resorts to just do the right thing. Um, you know, it'd save everyone a whole lot of money. It'd save these sheep. And, uh, you know, it could, you know, the money could be used elsewhere and a lot better use. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, 15, yeah, $15 million is a lot in conservation dollars to go to, you know, restoring habitat and building water catchments and God knows what else could be used. You know, right. there has been a, a, a capital campaign put together just recently um, to raise money. And a lot of it has just been on good faith um, demonstrations by community members to really show how much they care about these sheep that they want them here. We've had a couple um, great donors step forward and uh, pledge, you know, some, some very large um, contributions to the fund um, and um, including some other private donations. And um, I think Giannis even won a, a trivia game, donates money the other day. So thank you, Giannis. You're welcome. Awesome. And that, that money, um, for that particular, that's going to go towards, sorry, if I missed that, that's going to go possibly towards the purchase of that property or what is that, what is that for? It will go towards the purchase of that property. And in the event that, you know, Vail Resorts has a change of heart and they, they grow a conscience and put the, put the property in a conservation easement and preserve it, that money could either be returned to the donors, um, or it could go into, um, habitat projects for specifically, you know, earmarked for these sheep. And there are some other big uh, financial needs that these sheep have. Um, you know, development is only one threat to these sheep. 
There's also some public grazing allotments that are adjacent to this, um, recreation trails, um, you know, there's, and, and also habitat improvement. They're, uh, they're planning a big burn in that local area um, to help and improve the, the forage and habitat for those sheep. And, uh, you know, a little bit of that deer and elk as well. Um, but there's a financial need there as well. So if those dollars aren't used towards the acquisition of this property, those dollars will still go to the sheep directly. That's excellent. Awesome. I think we, I think we got to get all the, you know, obviously this is my, just my personal opinion, I guess, but all the hunting orgs and brands, I mean, this is kind of what we try to do with Howl anyway. Everyone's got to be involved and be on the same team here. It doesn't matter if you're a sheep hunter or not. Um, if you see the value of sheep on the landscape, then you need to fight for this or against this, however way you want to look at this. But, um, you know, against Vale Resorts doing this or, you know, or, or for Vale taking another option. Um, but, but also, like I said earlier, and just, I'm just thinking this as we're talking, we've, we've really got to reach out to typically, I guess, organizations who we wouldn't work with. Um, because again, this isn't a hunting issue. So, you know, and I'm just thinking of brand names and things like that, like Patagonia and, you know, all those names. I, I think they should all get involved. Um, and when that happens, Vail Resorts, they'll hear that. And I think what Giannis was saying, I wouldn't be surprised if, if they took that route. Like, you know, after careful consideration and, you know, really we've been discussing this for a couple of years now. It's just been complex, but we want to save these sheep and then, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll take that route. But let's make them do that. Let's give them those ideas also. Maybe they haven't thought about it. I don't know, but let's give them those ideas and make them do that. I, I, I honestly, I think we can. And what I mean by we is all the, all the people we're, that, that we're talking about, all the hunters, all the orgs, all the ski brands, all the everybody get on board, work together and accomplish this mission. Absolutely. And, and to add to that, Charles, you know, in the, within the hunting community, you know, we have a lot of accountability amongst each other. You know, if, if you're doing something inappropriate, you're going to get called out for it. The ski industry might not be the same way. Um, and some of their environmental actions, there's no one to call them out necessarily. Or in, in this case, there hasn't been. Um, so really, it's just an accountability to hold Vail Resorts to their epic promises and their, their commitments to the environment. Um, because if, if, if they don't honor what they claim, it would be, it'd be considered greenwashing. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's the reality of the situation. Um, this environment matters. There's wildlife matter in this community. And uh, I think enough people are starting to speak out and, uh, and hold, their, hold their feet to the fire on it. So you have fundraising, you have that set up now? We do, yes, sir. Okay, and that's on your website? That which is... Correct. That'll be on Vail Bighorn um, by this weekend. By this weekend. Okay. Awesome. We can we can help promote that as well um, on the on the page. We'll definitely do that. So that's that's important. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, everybody should go and do a uh, send a uh, howl as uh, it's called here on the Howl for Wildlife website. It is so easy. It's literally like your name and email, and then you hit send and you did, you did your job. Is that right, guys? 
It's that yeah. easy. Yeah. I, I did it again now because I think I did it a while ago, but I thought I would just send another one just in case. <laughs> yeah, you can send, um, you know, your own email. You can send multiple emails. There's a backlog each time you go there. Cookies might catch the same email if you kind of refresh it. But if you come back, you know, you do it right now and you come back tomorrow, you're going to see another email that's that's pre-drafted and they're ready to be sent. I think there was, uh, how many was there, Trey, did we do? Was it 60? 60 or 70, something like that. But um, there's pre-drafted emails that pop up when you go there with, with kind of different language that's being sent. And each time you send it, send it it's going to uh, four members on the board of Vail Resorts, four or five. And then, executives. yeah, the executives. And then um, there's another email that it kind of goes to, I think it goes to their admin. However, the entire board has access to it. So there's a possibility. It's been tough to get all their emails, but there's a possibility that the entire board is, is now seeing it. They at least have access, um, you know, to, to the emails that are being sent. Right. And you're, you're right. If you know, we, we can, we can have a voice in this and, you know, through like this howl action, I think right now I'm looking at it, we have almost 1300 emails sent to uh fail resorts executives and the board, which is, uh, which is excellent. I, I think we can, we can get a lot more from, um, as we've been talking about the hunting and non hunting community that can rally behind this and, and speak out on it. Yeah, we can definitely get a lot more. We gotta, we gotta push that. I, th- I sure. really, uh, we have to find a way to, to reach their, their demographic, you know, get the, the skiers involved, you know, because a lot of the people, and I, I don't want to, uh, stereotype anybody, but a lot of people who ski are very, you know, conscientious about environment or, you know, sometimes they're anti-hunting, but it's again, not a hunting issue. So I think we can like what Charles was saying earlier, I think it would be great to get those people involved. I don't know if there's local um, skiing associations or anything like that, that we can kind of get involved like right away that would help kind of push that along. Or do you think there would be uh, more for this with the ski resorts doing stuff to say? I know I'm asking you to look into the mind of somebody else, but I just don't know of any like ski clubs or anybody, anything like that. It's organized. Maybe the ski racers, Trey. Yeah. They have clubs. I just wondering if they heard something from started seeing, you know, it doesn't have to be a lot, you know, started seeing something from people that would affect their bottom dollar right away, you know? <clears throat> right. It's like, it's like talking to a politician and hitting his, uh, his or her uh, constituency, you know, that's, right. that's the way I'm kind of thinking of it, you know, in a, in, in a very abstract way, I guess, but. Right. Well, I think it, it, it can reach anyone and everyone because if, if you have a heart and a soul, you'd care about these sheep. True. I, and I think anyone can get around, get around it. You know, it's, it's not a hunting issue at all. Now, you guys talked about it earlier. I mean, hunting is such a small component of these sheep. Um, they only give out three tags in this unit of those three tags. It's only a 33% success rate. Um, so it's a, it's a very, uh, challenging hunt. It's a hard hunt. Um, 
you know, and it's so hunting really isn't even a factor in this equation. This is really just about conservation. Yeah, absolutely. We're gonna we're gonna reach out to a couple. There's there's a lot of organizations actually, and there's actually some. It would be great to get like a superstar, like an Olympian or something like that, to start talking about it. You know, it's not really mm. playing dirty. I just sort of want to call it playing dirty. I just like the strategy of all that stuff. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's just get loud about it. That's that's what we got to do. Get loud about it, and people will eventually hear it. And when the right people get too loud, you know, they get heard. That's just the way it works. No, we're losing you, Charles. Yep, we lost him. <laughs> I'm good. I'm still driving. Okay. Yeah, we don't we don't hear you. It's uh, it's basically uh, cutting in and out. Anyway, um, I don't want to beat a dead horse. I think we kind of covered it really well for um, the HAL members and anybody listening to the podcast that kind of wants to get involved. Um, I did promise, and I did want to hear Yanni's, uh, Giannis's, uh sheep hunt. If you want to share it with us, that'd be kind of cool. Um, uh, sure. Yeah, I can give you give you an abridged version, uh, not take up too much time. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll state first and foremost, I was very lucky to have friends that, uh, live very close to the gore range and, uh, even luckier to have a friend who had the tag the year prior. So I had very fresh Intel going into it. And, uh, Living 12 hours away, I only had one, I think like a three or four day scouting trip midsummer and um, almost walked out of there without seeing a single sheep. But uh, I, I was literally had my back to the mountain and my last spot where I could stop and turn around and glass just for a minute. I did. And uh, I found sheep and then I literally packed up and walked to the truck after four days of scouting. So that was pretty cool. I found 12 Rams and I'm pretty sure it's the same 12 Rams that I ended up hunting a month later when the season opened. Um, but, uh, like Trey was saying, man, it was a hard hunt. Uh, the approach just to get into where you could start possibly looking at sheep, you're looking at a minimum of seven, maybe closer to nine miles in most spots, um, of, of walking on a trail. Uh, it's all in the wilderness. So you're, you know, you're carrying all your gear in there and, um, sheep hunting can be pretty optics heavy. So you're carrying, you know, backpacking gear. And then on top of that, uh, you know, I was probably carrying, I think like 12 or 15 pounds of optics, uh, you know, plus a rifle. So it's, uh, it uh, it takes it out of you. But anyways, I went in um, to kick the season off um, actually by myself a couple of days before the season and found uh, all 12 Rams, 11 maybe, uh, when I refound them. And um, great one of them was a great big one. I watched them for two days and I had to hike out to resupply and to meet my photographer because he didn't know where he was going. So I met him. And we hiked back in there. I left watching the, I, I was watching the Ram at 11 AM one day and I left. We got back at like 11 PM or midnight after like a, I think it was like right around nine miles each way. We got back in there in the dark and the next morning, half of the Rams were gone and the big, big one was gone too. And, uh, there were some nice rams in the leftover group but i figured i had time on my hands and i was enjoying it so we would hunt a little while and try to find the big one well 
long story short, like 14 days later, I hadn't laid eyes on the big one again and had seen the same five rams over and over and over again. It seemed like no matter what part of the range I went to, somehow they would end up over there too. So it was kind of funny. Um, and they were very uh, identifiable because there's a couple collared rams. And so we, and there was one that had like a scar on his chest. And it was, it was very easy to be like, oh, there's the group of five again, you know. Um, anyways, uh, my buddy that actually had the tag the year, the year prior met up with us, uh, there in that second week of hunting. And, uh, we tried a whole new mountain and we we're going to basically get a different angle on this section of, uh, the gore range that we had been focusing in on. And, uh, it was a long look. It was like a two mile glass. So pretty long ways away. And, we spent the whole day on this mountain, glass and glass and glass and, and didn't pick up a single sheep. And when it was, you know, 30, 40 minutes before dark, and I just felt like I'd been, you know, blasted by sand in my eyes for all day. I was just kind of like, yeah, I'm done. Let's quit. Let's go look for a campsite. Because it's nice to find a flat campsite when you're hanging out on the side of a mountain because they're not plentiful on all mountainsides. So the, um, my buddy had actually left after two days of hunting with us. He had left, he had work obligations. Um, I think he was actually maybe going to guy with Trey. And, uh, so it's just me and the photographer again, and we're going to look for a campsite. And I just happened to glance up towards the, like the mountain that we were on where we hadn't been looking at all, all day. We've been looking two miles away and I glance up and with like 15, 20 minutes of light left, I see you know, a shape on the top of this mountain about a thousand yards away. And I had just enough time to get the glass up and realize that it was a bighorn ram. And then there was another one that popped up behind it, but they pretty quickly kind of came off the hill or off the top, off the horizon and wrapped around the hill and disappeared. Yes. And, uh, so whatever, that, that's all the intel I had that night, but at least, you know, we had sheep and we had something to do in the morning, which was great. So in the morning we got up early got set up and kind of watched that same hillside for the first 30 minutes. Didn't see any sheep realized there wasn't like a lot of country to feed in there. It was pretty much just all rocks. And so looking at Onyx and looking at the map, we decided it'd be best to kind of get up there and wrap around this mountain and start looking onto these kind of green grassy avalanche shoots. And, um, yeah, we did that. And, uh, Got to the first shoot and uh, it was a little bit, uh, it was, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? It made me nervous because the shoot was like very, it was steep, but it, and it had steep walls. So I got very close to it before I could actually clear the shoot and say there was no sheep in it. Cause there was like the, the steepness of the horizon where I had to peek over and look into, had there been a sheep still in the shoot, it would have been like right below me. I did not want to be faced holding like a once in a lifetime tag. I did not want to be in the situation of having sheep like 50 yards away and going, uh, is that the one? Oh my God, there's sheep. Oh my God. And then, and then making a quick shot. So uh, luckily they weren't in there, but we basically just worked over to the next, uh, Abby shoot. And sure enough, there was a group of, can't remember now how many Rams were in that group, somewhere between five and seven Rams total. And, uh, you know, that was the one moment I really wish I had like a wingman with me. Um, 
my photographer was a great dude, very in shape and could hang in the mountains, but zero sheep experience. And, uh, I needed someone with some sheep experience that in that moment could have, could have said, all right, let's just take it easy and see what we got here. Because instead I was like, I, I, I glassed them and I could see a one Ram that had this huge chip out of his, one of his horns. And there was a ram that was running with the big, big ram from two weeks earlier that also had a chip that looked very much like it. So when I saw that, I thought, oh, man, here they are. This has got to be part of that group. And so when I looked over and saw a bigger, more mature ram that just, I could just see a bunch of rings stacked up above his uh, eyes, I'm like, oh, that's got to be the, the man, you know. And uh, so within minutes, I had my gun, you know, set up and um put the spotter on him and waited for him to turn broadside and i took my shot shot um it didn't turn out to be that the the big giant ram it still turned out to be a nine-year-old ram which uh, i'm over the moon about just like super excited uh but uh it would have been nice to have someone just in my ear just saying all right man this is it this is like you're the once in a lifetime moment, you know, let's take a deep breath and assess the situation. Uh, Sheep are so tough to judge on the hoof too. It's like, it's, it's tough to be wrong. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. tough, or tough yeah. to be right, I should say. But, uh, um, but, a great but anyways, I made a shot and um, it was funny because he didn't fall immediately. He kind of spun and maybe went like five yards and stopped and he's looking at me and I had cycled my action. And I was like, well, I think I got one in him, so I'm going to shoot again. I couldn't see any blood on his side. I, I pulled the trigger, and the gun just goes click. Well, I'd only loaded one round because I had just been running out, running with, you know, an empty gun. And so I just put one in there. And uh, right as I went, pulled it, and the gun went click, the sheep actually fell over and started rolling down the hill. Um, so he didn't need a second shot. He just needed a little bit of time. But uh, – yeah, overall, it was just um, it was a grand adventure. Um, I hope to do it again. It was uh, we got very lucky and had just incredible weather. I call it uh, summit weather. It's the kind of weather where if anybody's out there that likes to climb mountains and you know bag peaks, it's the kind of weather you're looking for to get on top of a big mountain. Like we didn't experience a lot of wind. We had zero thunderstorms. Just, I think we put on our rain jackets once for 20 minutes the whole time. We slept under a tarp or or just under the stars the whole time we were up there. And we had plenty of nights that were spent at 10, 11, 12,000 feet. Um, and uh, so we were, we were blessed with being able to carry very light packs the whole time. Um, you know, and our biggest worry was probably just exposure, you know, keeping covered up from the sun and uh keeping well hydrated was one of the bigger challenges and obviously getting around that country you know you got to be careful and you got to have your energy but uh yeah it was just so nice and, and that that those mountains are so beautiful i hate to tell everybody all about them it's not like all of a sudden there's gonna be a mass uh, a mass is heading to the gore range to go backpacking but if you do live in that area, you should definitely go check it out. Um, it's a beautiful place, and uh, maybe you'll get lucky enough and see a couple sheep while you're up there. But um, yeah, I don't know. Was that was, was that a good uh, story about a sheep hunt? You got any questions? No, no, it's perfect, man. I, 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 I'm always interested about hearing about the sheep hunts because 
when I had mine, I, I feel like I failed the experience a little bit. And it was, um, that was the biggest thing about it. Like, you know, like I didn't want to fail the experience and I put a lot of pressure on myself to not fail it. And I end up failing the experience, even though I got a nice Ram and I did it with a bow and got it on film. And it was, you know, I checked the boxes, but I just, I had a whole month to hunt and I got it done in three days. And oh. <laughs> it was just like, yeah. Anyway, one of these days I'll tell you the story. And we'll, but, uh, Anyhow, uh, I want to. Well, I mean, I'll tell you the the pressure associated with a sheep tag is uh, it's incredible. Like you hear all about it, and you know anybody that's ever had one will tell you about it. And I'm sure Trey is just a, as a guide of sheep hunters can tell you about it. But um, I had no idea. But like the instant I got the phone call that I had drawn, I felt the weight on my shoulders until I killed that ram. It was nonstop, like pressure from yourself from friends from media um it's that once in a lifetime tag thing is uh it can be overwhelming yeah it's it's exactly what it is it's the implication of once of a lifetime like that whole oh my god this is i can only do this once and you know you just you just want it to be perfect you have like visions of how it's supposed to go and if it doesn't go that way, you know, kind of messes with you a little bit. Yeah. As bad as I want to be a sheep hunter again, like I was very happy to once I killed that Ram to not be a dude with a sheep tag in my pocket anymore. <laughs> yeah. I don't feel bad for you. No, right. Yeah, it's hard, it's hard <laughs> to feel bad for, for no <laughs> sympathy, Andre. No, n- neither one of you guys. <laughs> I'm still on the lesson one club. Yeah. Yeah, I've, uh, well, I've, you're young. You play the game. It's going to happen for you. Yeah. I think you, uh, Giannis, you did say something at the beginning of your story that was uh, valuable and adds to our conversation. You had mentioned a couple collared rams that you had seen up there on your yeah. hunt. That's that's pretty cool to see those. That's a, um, just a remark on, on that. There is a collar study being done on these sheep, and it's kind of a one in a uh, uh, one of its kind um, collaring study on bighorns here in Colorado. It has nothing to do with this development. Um, really, it just has to do with these sheep and uh, learning more about them, their movement, migration, uh, learning about recreational impacts, and uh, some of the domestic grazing that happens in there and seeing if there is some interaction with domestic grazing. So um, it doesn't have anything to do with this development we're talking about today. But it's a really cool study um, in partnership of CPW and Rocky Mountain Bighorn Society. Um, and those two organizations have been awesome, you know, especially the state doing this study. And they've learned an awful lot about these sheep um, here in the Gore. And it's going to be valuable information, um, not only for these sheep, but valuable for sheep, I think, nationwide. I think they're learning a lot about these sheep and their movement and their habits and um, you know, lambing and breeding areas. And it's a pretty cool deal that they're doing. So, so those collars that you saw on those rams were funded by um, Rocky Mountain Bighorn Society and they were put on by Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Awesome. Well, guys, uh, I want to thank you. I won't take up any more of your time. Uh, it was awesome having you both on. And then Charles, thanks for your insight because um, I know you worked closely with Trey on this. And uh, hopefully the listeners have a, good understanding of what's going on there and how they can get involved. And ultimately, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll be able to prevail and get, uh, 
get Vail's uh, winter sheep range protected. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Thank you, guys, Charles. Thank you so much for all your efforts. John, thank you. And Giannis, thank you very much for everything you guys are doing. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, no problem at all. We'll keep fighting. Thanks for having us on, guys. Absolutely. Talk, talk to you later. How's going?